today. We worship you. We praise you. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our honor. You're worthy of worship, God. We thank you. We praise you, God. Thank you, Father. Father, we purpose. We purpose today that this place would be a tabernacle of David. This place would be a time and a place that we worship you. We glorify you. We magnify you. God, with all that we are, that all that we can, God, I thank you and I praise you. Amen. Thank you, Father. I was uh, this morning just soaking in God's presence, you know, just thinking and and uh, and what I had in my heart was don't underestimate the power of one. And then this last song, there's just one thing. He is just one thing. And we are not to underestimate the power of one because it took one person to die on that cross. Just one. It took one person, Jesus, who died for all of our sin, for all of our uh, mistakes, all of our stuff. He was one person that died. But he gave that power of one to us. The power of one to share Jesus. No one would be serving God today if it wasn't for one person that was obedient to do what God told them to do, to say something to them. Amen? You have the power of one. We we should not we should not take this this uh, life that Jesus has given us. We should not take that lightly. We need to share it with one person every day, at least one. Amen. I mean, listen, I get busy too. I get busy, and and I'm not a people person. I'm, I'm very uh, uh, to myself. I don't I don't like to talk to strangers. You know, my mama told me not to talk to strangers, so. But Jesus told me to talk to strangers. But we should, we should not underestimate the power that's on the inside of us of one. Um, I heard it said years ago, stop for the one. Every day, stop for the one. Amen? Don't underestimate the power of one. I heard a, does anybody listen to Jensen Franklin in, on Sunday mornings before church? He told the story today of uh, this morning I was listening to it. He told the story of Billy Graham going to Hollywood, going to, to California, Hollywood, California, and doing a three-week camp meeting. There was one guy that was a big movie star during that time and a songwriter. He talked about that one guy for three weeks did not show up, but he would get together with Billy every almost every day. And finally one day, the guy calls him when they're when they're getting ready to shut the meetings down. He calls him and he says, I need to talk to you. Billy met him for lunch, talked to him. And then that night, in the last night of the tent meeting, the guy walked down front and received Jesus Christ as his Lord. It took one. One Billy Graham. One Billy Graham to, to win that guy. Now listen, here's the here's the part of the story that I love. The power of one. That that gentleman, that his name was Stuart Hamblin. And he was able to share with John Wayne his faith. And John Wayne changed his life in that one story. I never heard that before. I never heard that John Wayne was, I mean, he's a cool dude. But I didn't know he was like a solid believer. 
And it was that one guy, that one moment, stopping for that one man. And it and it changed the whole culture of each, each person's life. Amen? So listen, you may think that your story is not great. You may think that your story is average. But listen, you've got Jesus. You've got the one that counts. And he is looking for you to share that one person with somebody. Amen? You can change the whole world around you if you just stop for the one and share. Amen? All right. Well, Father God, I thank you today for each and every person that's here. God, I thank you that every person who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has said, God, change my mind, my, my life. God, I thank you that we have the power to change people's lives because you changed ours. God, you stopped for one. You used one to stop for one. We can sure enough use that same one to stop for one. We praise you. We thank you for our life, our testimony, our story, our journey. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all receive that today? All right. If you would turn around and tell somebody hello, just tell them you're glad to see them this morning. Give them a fist bump. How y'all doing this morning? I want to personally say thank you for getting out on a cold morning like this. Man, it is it is a cold, cold sucker out there. But uh, we appreciate you getting out. And and just just for my satisfaction, when you leave here today, just be careful in the parking lot. I think the last time we had ice on the parking lot that somebody slipped and fell. And and uh, we, just, we just ask you to just be careful, all right? So with that, I have an opportunity this morning to get to... To introduce somebody that uh, maybe you haven't seen in a while, uh, maybe you're, you've just started coming here in the last year and you you don't know Josh, but uh, Josh has been somebody. I remember the first time that uh, he he is somebody. Amen. <laughs> but I remember the first time that I get got to saw got to see him talk, and I thought that that kid he's a kid back then. We just celebrated his 34th, 5th, 30th, 40th, it's his 40th, no, it's his 35th birthday just the other day. And, uh, and you know, I, he was a kid back then when I saw him. And I thought, man, this kid's got a call of God on his life. And uh, he, he's a good communicator. So today, um, just through some, some events that's happened in the last year, uh, he'll probably share a little bit of that. But just through some events that's happened, we just let him rest and sit down and be on a journey. And this morning, I think it's time. It's time to hear from him. Amen. So would you all give a Cowboy Church welcome to my spiritual son, Josh Smith. Come on up, buddy. Oh, man. No, we don't. Last time they chanted like that, there was penalty boxes and stuff involved, so we don't need to need to go there. Oh man, um, it's funny because when I communicate, I have notes literally to introduce myself because I forget a lot of things, and Pastor took care of that, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, before we get started, I want to welcome our Facebook family and our Kingdom Ranch family out in California. Uh, hopefully it's warmer there than it is here this morning and that they do good. 
Um, I want to thank Pastor Darren and Lynette for everything they've done. And as he's up here talking about reaching out to one, 15 years ago, there was a men's conference in South Dakota. And I reached out because I was a kid at the time, and I'm like, I did not have any extra money, was trying to figure things out. And I asked him if there was any possibility that I could get to that conference. And 15 years ago, he decided to take it upon himself to invest in me in that moment and be willing to reach out to the one. Since that time, um, he's, he heard me communicate at, at Bible camps, at a funeral, but I want to honor them for the opportunity to get to, for them to be my spiritual parents, for me to get to walk beside them, them walk beside me through a lot of things that we're going to hear about today. Um, but I just thank you guys, and I thank you for reaching out to the one. Um, so thank you to our pastors. And then I do get the chance to do this, and it doesn't happen very often. If you serve anywhere on our Gen Now team from nursery up through high school, will you stand up for me real quick? Some of you are looking at me like you don't want to, but please stand up. So this team is amazing, and they're the ones that are with your kids week in and week out, whether they're holding your babies and rocking them to sleep, you guys can sit down, whether they're tubing or playing dodgeball with your high school kids. Um, if they do come home broken, that's our team, and we just believe in tough love. Um, but that team is absolutely incredible. Um, they are hands down the best to serve with, the best to walk with. And I just wanted to take a quick second um, and honor them and their time. Man, the faithfulness of God. Um, so this morning, I think you guys probably saw a slide that Rhett put together that there's pain and then there's healing. And I'm not one, I don't always title things, I do sometimes, and I don't always share it right away, but this morning, we're going to talk about the relevance of pain, whether that's physical pain, whether that's emotional pain, whether that's trauma, whatever that looks like on different levels, we're going to talk about how relevant pain is in our lives and our journeys and what we do with it. Um, So if you'll turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Psalms 30, it's going to be up on the screen too, and I, I have... Bibles, my, my boy Elijah this morning, he's like, Dad, did you bring your Bible to church? I said, buddy, I, I didn't, but it's all on here because I was in four or five different Bibles and looking through all sorts of different translations, and I feel bad having these guys carry my iPad, so I did not bring a stack of Bibles with me for them to carry as well. Um, but Psalms 30, verse 1 through 5, it says, I give you all the credit. God, you got me out of that mess. You didn't let my foes gloat. God, my God. I yelled for help, and you put me together. God, you pulled me out of the grave, gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. All you saints, sing your hearts out to God. Thank him to his face. He gets angry once in a while, but across a lifetime there is only love. The nights of crying your eyes out give way to days of laughter. So he's with us all the time. He's willing to be there when we need him all we have to do is cry out sometimes that's what it is is crying out sometimes it's more of a voice sometimes it's more of an action because that's all we can do and in looking through the bible app i did not realize that there is an easy to read bible translation and i like to be simple sometimes and i'm like maybe this is more my tune um so psalms 34 17 and 18 i'm going to read it out of a couple translations 
But the first one is out of the easy to read translation. And I've never seen that, never looked at it. But it says, pray to the Lord and he will hear you. He will save you from all your troubles. The Lord is close to those who have suffered disappointment. He saves those who are discouraged. And then the same same scripture out of the, the New Living Translation, it says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The crushing of our spirit, I think, takes place sometimes in a mental capacity, but then it feels like it moves into a physical capacity where there's there's a pain and there's a hurt, there's a trauma, there's something that takes place that feels like it literally crushes the being on the inside of us. Sometimes that's death. Sometimes that's praying for something that we don't see happen. We, we believe in something that doesn't come forth. But there's so many, and I'm not doing this because it's a hype thing. This is something that's been on my heart for a few months. But we hear in our society, well, there's pain, there's trauma, there's hurt. Your emotional health. You need to take mental health days. I'd not heard any of that until like the last year and a half or two years. And it becomes all of these prevalent issues. But when I think of pain, I think of physical pain, right? I would say most guys are going to attribute pain to physical Women may attribute it to physical, they may attribute it to emotional, but really it's pain is pain, whether it's physical or emotional. Like for me, the most physical pain I've ever felt in my life is when I thought I broke my neck and my back and I was strapped to a backboard. Like not so much my neck and my back hurt, but that backboard was terrible. Um, but the, the physical pain, but the definition of pain is physical suffering or discomfort caused by illness or injury, mental suffering or distress. But then if you look back at Psalms 34, it says that God is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the ones whose spirits are crushed. So what is heartbreak? Crushing grief, anguish, or distress. I was listening to Bill Johnson, Pastor Lynn. Lynette gave me a message to listen to a few weeks ago, and I listened to it, and he explains heartbreak this way. He said, when your emotions have to adjust unwillingly. And as I say this, I feel like all of us at some point are reaching into something that we've experienced pain or we've experienced heartbreak. But then if we take that even further, what is trauma? Trauma is an experience, very stressful, frightening, or distressing events that are too difficult to cope with or that are out of our control. It can be a single incident or it can be an ongoing process. So how many of you have experienced pain, physically or emotionally? Okay, glad I'm not alone. How many of you have experienced heartbreak? And it could go clear back to like fifth grade and you're like, man, I love this person, I'm gonna marry them, and they broke your heart because they didn't like you. <laughs> and then how many of you have experienced trauma of some sort? Right? So we're in good company. Everybody's experienced the things that we walk through, but most of the time, nothing is said about them. We sit in silence. We sit in shame. We sit in guilt. And we think, man, I must be the only one that hurts. I must be the only one that's dealing with grief, distress, or anguish. I must be the only one that's ever been through anything traumatic. 
I've got ears in here. I, I, my mind was not, not going not to be. I mean, traumatic can be like you walk in and you see something that you're not supposed to see. Somebody cuts their hand and you see blood. You see wounds. Traumatic could be you see a car accident, your house caught on fire. Traumatic can be as simple as your parents got divorced when you were little. Your, your best friend moved away in high school. They betrayed you. It doesn't have to be something that destroys you. So there's going to be parts of my story kind of intertwined, but the end of 22, the beginning of 23, I was seeing a counselor. I'm all for it. If you got questions, come see me afterwards. It's something that we need to take into account that we learn to deal with what is presented. Before, when I was growing up, my dealing with things was anger. I was in anger management as a little boy. Like I punched holes in walls, I kicked holes in doors. Like that's how I dealt with things. I didn't know anything else. Well, I was 34 years old and I realized that anger is like a secondary emotion. I had no idea. So all those times that I was punching things and kicking things, there was something deeper. And what my counselor told me is he said that your body cannot decipher the difference between physical pain and emotional pain. So pain is pain. So I'm thinking pain and I'm thinking of laying on a backboard. But then I'm thinking pain of when I had to do my little brother's funeral. And they're the same. They're on the same levels within our brain and we can't process it any different. So as I was thinking of this, I called C-Dub and we were kind of joking, but I'm like, do we go to a hospital knowing that our arm is broken in half and ask them to put a Band-Aid on it? No, we want them to fix it. Like, take the x-rays, do the surgery if you have to, put the screws in. Like, I can do a Band-Aid at home. <laughs> Chance of shaking his head no. <laughs> a Band-Aid is not going to fix a broken arm. Right? So we go to the hospital when we're hurting, when we're in pain. Isn't the church a hospital for broken people? So why do we come to church and we don't talk about the pain? We don't talk about the trauma. We don't talk about the heartbreak. And we, no, I can't talk about it. I shy away from it. I'll just put a Band-Aid over it. I'll put a Band-Aid over this. And then the next thing you know, you've got a stack of Band-Aids from all the events that you've walked through from the time that you can remember to now. And you've never taken the Band-Aids off. Now it's just sticky and it's a mess and they're all over the place and they're not even in the place that they're supposed to be. But the church is a hospital for the broken. God can heal the brokenhearted. He's with the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. So we're going to be real today. We're going to be raw. We're going to be vulnerable. But if I'm going to do that, I would ask that you guys would also participate in that. So how many of you... Like everybody raised their hands when I said pain, heartache, or trauma, right? So if you've experienced any of those, raise your hand. Okay? Literally everybody's hand is up. Now, how many of you, and don't lie because we're in church, (laughs) how many of you have actually felt it? Okay? So a little bit less. Now, this one will shock you. How many of you have dealt with it? Very few compared to the initial amount, right? Some people are like, ah, maybe. I put the Band-Aid on it when it was fresh. But we've not dealt with it. I know, you know, as guys, we're like, hey, don't cry about that. Guys, don't cry. Guys, don't be emotional. 
we have this portrayal that women are too emotional. Don't feel that. But why? Why Why do we shy away from the things that God's given us? We look at our boys, don't cry. I'll give you a reason to cry. You know, you hear that, you heard that a lot. Some of you older, you know, like the, the generation above me, like my dad's age are like, yeah, we didn't cry for nothing. But what does that do? What has that trained us to do that when we feel something, that it's not real? That we don't need to deal with it, that it's not important enough that we need to grab a hold of it and be in the moment with it. So, like, little traumas, heartbreaks, things for me. Like, when I was little, uh, my little brother's dad, we would go fishing. I'm a terrible fisherman. I'm not quiet, and I'm not patient. <laughs> and then I'm, like, eight and on top of it, like, throwing rocks in the lake and getting yelled at because the fish are not going to bite because I'm jacking around. So, to this day... I think I've taken my boys fishing twice, and that's because I have amazing friends that do things and constantly challenge me to step into something that I shot away from. Why? Because I had bad experiences when I was little, so I've completely negated it with my own kids. I've allowed the pain, the trauma, the heartbreak to make decisions today that happened 20-plus years ago. 2001, my grandpa passed away. He was like my best friend. I didn't know what to do. Like, I got to learn to drive, like, his old stick shift pickup. Some of you younger kids don't even know what a manual car is. But I got to drive his pickup. But then when he passed away, I literally dealt with, like, the, the loss of him that I never dealt with. For years. Seven, eight years ago, I'm sitting in a meeting and I have a couple praying for me. And they're like, do you have any unforgiveness? And I'm like, nope, I'm good. And God's like, your grandpa passed away. And you're holding him in unforgiveness because he left you. I'd carried this from 2001 to 2015, 14, 15 years. And I didn't know that. And in the moment, I finally released that. And my arms were on a chair and they literally just picked up. Because I was carrying something that I didn't. Like three months after my grandpa passed away, I was, the doctors had diagnosed me with type 1 diabetes. I was in the hospital for a week. At 13 years old, I weighed like 55 pounds. Couldn't go to bed without pee in the bed, drinking like three gallons of water a day. In the hospital for a week, and we're learning how to do insulin shots. At 12, I have to learn how to give myself shots. And this took me a long time, but we had classes. My mom was there. My dad was supposed to be there, and he took his girlfriend and their kids. They had made plans to go to an amusement park. And I didn't realize what that did inside until I didn't deal with it. I put a Band-Aid on it like, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's okay. We can make up classes. But the Band-Aid wasn't sufficient. 2013, my little brother was killed in a car wreck. And I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer. Like, I'm just being real, right? Because if we're going to talk about it, I don't want you to think that I've not walked through anything. I don't want you to think that I haven't felt the pain and the heartbreak, the trauma. So 2013, it's November, and my little brother's heading south to go rodeo. 
And I'm calling him, calling him, calling him, can't get a hold of him. The guy that he's supposed to go with calls me. He said, hey, there's been a really bad wreck by my house. We've got to get out of here early. That bad wreck by his house was my little brother. It killed him and his girlfriend. Like the trauma, but like in that moment, I had learned to feel it a little bit more. We're in a hospital room and we decide to pull him off of life support. This is the first time I'd ever met his girlfriend's family. But we had people come up and we got to see people accept Jesus in the waiting room of a hospital. But then I felt, I learned, and it was such a weight that I had to process it a little bit different than I did before. The band-aid wasn't going to work this time. So we pull him off of life support, and it was Pastor Darren, Pastor Lynette, and Dustin. And they clear the room. And I didn't hear this until afterwards, but Pastor Lynette was standing outside the door. The door was closed. And Pastor Darren and Dustin were standing in there, and I just, it crushed me. Like my little brother was like my best friend. He had told me at times that I was more like a dad to him. And I didn't know what to do, but it was so much that I couldn't just put a band-aid on. So I felt this one a little bit different. I just wept beside his bed. I prayed for him to, to be raised from the dead. We prayed, and it didn't happen. But I had a moment, like 10 or 15 minutes, where I could just feel the moment. As Pastor Lynette's guarding the door on the outside and Pastor Darren and Dustin are standing in there with me, it was the first time in my life that I truly felt something in the moment. I got to feel what just happened and not just wash over it. It'll be okay. I didn't realize that three years down the road, I was still carrying a guilt and a shame that I had prayed for him and he had not been raised from the dead. We're at church one night and a lady ministers... And she said, I feel like there's somebody in here that prayed for a resurrection and it didn't happen and you're carrying it. And I just broke. I didn't know because we don't talk about the things that hurt. In my house growing up, we didn't talk about how we felt. We didn't get an opportunity to share that. I don't know if I ever saw my dad cry. I think I did when, when my grandpa passed away, but it wasn't something of the normal. And then this last year, like all of this and I'm learning and processing and growing and I go through a divorce in 2023. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I prayed for. Was their pain? Unbelievable. Was their heartbreak? Yep. Is it a traumatic event that I've had to walk through? Yep. But when we allow ourselves in the moment to feel it, it is real. I, I'm not going to stand here and lie and say that none of that didn't happen. I'm not going to make up stories and say that here I am and nothing, I've walked through nothing. But I've learned in 35 years, the more that I take a chance to feel it, the raw and the real and the grit, like I don't cuss. And there's been times where I'm like, just me and God, like I'm yelling, not at him. But I'm cussing because I, I just, I'm gonna feel it. I'm gonna be real for the first time ever. I'm gonna be as raw as I can with God because He already knows what I'm walking through. And then when we feel it, 
it allows him to come in and begin to heal it. I was driving in my car like six months ago and I'm just praying in the spirit and I'm like, okay, like I'm navigating, I'm feeling like, but then I'm thinking of things in the past. What did I not heal? What did I not deal with? What have I not talked about? What have I not felt? And there was things in counseling at 34 years old that I had to feel for the first time that happened when I was six or seven. Why do we wait 25 years to feel something? Why do we wait 50 years to, to show emotion and it's at a funeral? But I was driving down the road and I felt so heavy in my spirit that I wrote it in my phone. I've got sticky notes of it, but it says, like, I felt in my spirit what we don't feel he can't heal. Because at this point, when we're not feeling it, abandoned. Here's an ace wrap. This one's a little bit worse. We might use some gauze for this one. But what we don't feel, he can't heal. And I'm not putting limitations on God. I'm not saying that God isn't the healer because he is. I'm not saying that God won't give you the strength because he is the strength. He is the peace, the joy. But he also gives us free will. So if we're not going to feel it and we're going to hold on to it, we never release it for him to do the work on us, in us, through us. Because we choose to hide it. We choose to not deal with it. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Day in and day out, we have the opportunity to grow every area of the fruit of the Spirit. We have an opportunity to love greater, to experience joy, to experience peace. Like, that's all makes sense to me, but how do we develop long-suffering? It's going to hurt. You're going to have pain. You're going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to have to deal with some things to produce long-suffering. But the thing is, is like we like, oh man, the enemy. The enemy gave me this. The enemy gave me that. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes our pain is because of our dumb choices. Our stupid ideas. Like I don't have time for the dumb ideas that I did as a kid that caused physical pain. But sometimes God allows pain to see if he can trust us in the moment. To trust us with the process to deal with something. Can we handle the pain that comes without running from God? I mean, some of y'all are on a dead sprint. Like, nope, if God catches me, then I have to deal with it. You, you do. But he's so merciful and he's not going to dump your plate all at once. Are we turning to drugs and alcohol, sex? Because we don't want to deal with it? Are we trying to mask it? Are we trying to put on a facade that it never happened? Can God trust us with moments of pain? There's something greater on the inside of you when you deal with the pain that you have that produces your character, that develops you, that grows you in your relationship with him? Can he trust you?
And this is not like kudos to me, but I'm up here so I get to share my stories. 2013, when my little brother was killed in a car accident, a week before or a week after his funeral, I can't remember for sure, there was a gentleman that worked with the guy that hit them. Happened to have bought my little brother's pickup like six months before that, so he knew who it was. Reached out and said, hey, this guy wants to sit down and have breakfast. Are you guys willing? I called my mom. I said, if you go, great. I said, I'm going either way. And my heart was not to be offended. My heart was not to bring physical harm. And I'll never forget, it was the village inn by the police station. I could walk in there and like probably pick out the floor tiles. But this man walks in with his wife, and he literally, his whole body is trembling in fear. And he said, I was going to bring my kids, but I prepared myself to physically get beat because of what happened. And I just gave him a hug. We just wept in the restaurant. People looking at us like we were weirdos. I am a weirdo. But we wept. We sat down and we ate. And he looks across the table at me and said, but why? He said, why was it him? And I'd never met this man before. I said, do you know where you would have been? I said, my little brother and his girlfriend both knew Jesus. I said, do you? And he lost it. He said, I don't. But from that moment forward, he was in Bible studies at his job. Him and his family had attended church. I've stayed in contact with him. Can God trust you to steward the pain that you're given? It's an opportunity to do something that otherwise you're never going to have the chance to do. The pain that you've experienced, you will never have that moment again. There might be something else. You will never have that moment again. And we push all these moments aside and we don't deal with them. As I mentioned, like for me, it came out in anger. When I was little, like I just, I'd get frustrated because I didn't know there was other things. I didn't know that I was angry because my heart hurt. I didn't know that I was angry because I felt hopeless. I didn't know that I was angry because I was a little kid pulled between my parents. And I didn't know. And this is me. This is my story. This is me on earth. But like, do we see emotion in the Bible? Do we see things in the Bible? There's a bunch, and I don't have time to list them all. But what about when Peter chopped off the guy's ear? Like Jesus gets betrayed? Oh, I'm going to whack his ear off. You don't think he's frustrated? Like he's not doing that because he loves the guy. He's not doing that because he's overjoyed with his presence. No, he's angry. He's hurt that Jesus has been betrayed and he's going to die. Moses spoke of paralyzing fear. And then he got, like me, he got like, he hits the rock the second time after God tells him not to because he's already mad and he's got to do something anyway. Then the miracle happens. Like, we're like, Jesus was perfect. Jesus is weak. Jesus wasn't weak. He was meek. He had self-control, but he had emotion. Like, my Bible tells me that Jesus made a whip, flipped tables, and ran people out of the temple. 
You, you don't think there's emotion in there? Like he's not flipping tables and like folding the legs in and like putting them away. Like I'll get to you in a second. No, you are disgracing my father's house. He's above everything. Like there is emotion. Like married couples. If you're not married and you're going to get married and you want emotion in a passionate way, read the song of Solomon. There's plenty of emotion in there. You will blush. Some of you will be like, my God, you can say that in the Bible. They did. But it's all emotion that you have to feel. If you don't feel the emotion, your marriage is going to lack. Balaam was so angry, he punched his donkey. Like the donkey didn't do anything. But then what blows my mind is God uses the donkey to ask him why. Like out loud. What did you, what was that for? Now he's scared to death. (laughs) Cause he's got a donkey talking to him. He's angry. Something drove the anger. You don't think Jesus felt emotion when he's at dinner with his disciples and he's washing their feet, but he knows that Judas is going to betray him? You don't think that when they come to get him, that there's some type of emotion? I mean, Jesus was was steady as can be. You don't think his heart rate raised a little bit? He knew it was going to happen, but, I mean, maybe a little bit of anger. There's a whole lot of hurt, a whole lot of betrayal. What about Joseph? Finds out that Mary's pregnant. Like, there was obviously some type of emotion because an angel had to come tell him that it was okay. The life of King David. Emotion got him in trouble. Emotion got him into an affair. Emotion had him have someone else murdered. But then emotion also presented the tabernacle of David. He didn't do that out of guilt and shame. He didn't do that because he had to. Emotion produced something in his heart to worship his father. got a couple stories of Jesus. I mentioned it, but I want you to realize, like, if we're created in his image, I want you to see the raw emotion of Jesus. If you'll turn with me to Luke 22, verse 43 and 44, and I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. It says, Now an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, deeply distressed and anguished, almost to the point of death, He prayed more intently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. The raw emotion of Jesus, is Jesus going to pray so passionately for his disciples and so passionately for you that he literally, his sweat turns to blood? And I'm I'm looking at this because I'm like, okay, if he's distressed and anguished, what's that mean? Anguished is experiencing or expressing severe mental or physical pain or suffering. In that moment, Jesus is experiencing pain and suffering. 
distressed is to suffer from anxiety, sorrow, or pain. But then the medical term, like it's a life-threatening medical term, hematidrosis is an, a f- life-threatening physical response to extreme physical or mental stress. That's what caused his sweat to turn to blood. But then we're going to walk around and we're not, no, there's no emotion. I can't feel this. I can't be upset. I can't hurt. He's in agony praying for you that his blood begins to hit the ground as his disciples are asleep. Shortest scripture in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. John 11.35. It literally says that Jesus wept. Like, there's going to be a point in your life, and maybe it's happened, where, like, crying isn't, like, enough. Like, ugly cries, not enough. But it's an uncontrollable weep that literally takes everything out of you that you have. And that's what Jesus did. But then if you read down in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. The pain was so much that he wept for an undisclosed amount of time, but then it still hurt him so bad that he couldn't form words. He's groaning out to his father, making noises and making sounds because the pain in his heart is so much. This is when his best friend Lazarus was dead. So Jesus, like Jesus does... Knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead on the fourth day. Because at this point, then everybody is hopeless. All hope is gone because they felt that the the spirit left on the third day. So he waits till the fourth day. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. There wasn't like, well, if this is God's will, if this works. No, he knew that Lazarus was going to rise. And he still wept. He felt with Martha and Mary the pain that they were dealing with. And he wept for the loss of his friend, even knowing that he was going to raise him from the dead. And he looks at Martha and Mary and he said, it won't end in death, but this will be used for the glory and the honor of God so that the son of God may be glorified. It may hurt like hell, but it's for my glory. It's for his glory. The pain, the trauma, the heartbreak can be for his glory. Jesus betrayed to the cross. Like, the physical pain is pretty obvious, right? I mean, he got beat. Like, he was whipped, beaten beyond recognition. Like, I don't have a lot of a beard right now. I have in the past. If my boys grab a hold of it, it really makes me want to flick them in the forehead. Because it hurts. And they literally ripped a full face of hair out. Like... So the physical pain, he spit on. There's people in here today that I know love Jesus. If somebody spits on them, they're probably going to get in a fight instantly. So he's feeling disrespected. He's feeling dishonored. He's feeling a physical pain. Resentment, fear. You don't think he had a little bit of fear? Because he's fully man. He knew he was going to be raised from the dead, but... He still has a chance to feel it. Man, I gotta. 
So when the enemy does bring pain, I think there's three things that he tries to kill, steal, or destroy through the pain, the heartbreak, or the trauma. The first one that he comes after is the wonder of God. The enemy will try to bring enough pain that will try to kill you to get you to lose your wonder of God. And in losing your wonder of God, you begin to, I wonder if this is going to work. I wonder if God is really who he says he is. I wonder if he can do this for me. I know he did it for them. I wonder if he loves me this much. And we lose the wonder of God that we were created to live with. The second thing that the enemy tries to come after through pain is your worship to God. He will try to silence you in pain. He will try to silence you in a moment of trauma. Our worship is a gift that we get to give to God. We get to give it to him that does not cost us anything monetarily, but it costs us everything with our pride and our ego. But if the situation is hard enough, a lot of times it will turn us from worshiping him to worshiping what's going on. If he can take our eyes off of our father and help us get us to stop praising him, then he's successful. He wins. There's moments and situations that I've walked through that literally the only thing I could do, the only thing that kept me afloat was that I did not give up my worship. There were nights that at a worship night that I just weep up here on the floor. There's nights that I would weep in my kitchen. But the enemy was not going to take my worship. You've heard C.W. and Kirsty's story. Sorry, I didn't ask if I could. But through that, the worship, God didn't, like, the enemy tried. But they didn't give up their worship. The third thing that the enemy tries to take is your witness for God. He will try to shut your mouth. Is God really that good? You just went through this whole list of things. Is God really that faithful? Does God really love you that much? And he's going to try to silence your testimony. Your testimony is the spirit of prophecy, and it will provide life to what's coming. But if he can take away your voice and sharing, it's going to be in guilt. It's going to be in shame. That he's going to try to keep you silent. Like I'm not harping on it. I'm not hanging out on it. But there's a lot of churches that somebody that just went through what I went through a year ago would not be standing here. The enemy will try to destroy your witness of how good God is. In the death of my brother at the hospital, the enemy tried to destroy the witness of God. And it backfired because 30 minutes after, there's... 15 or 20 kids in the waiting room that gave their lives to Jesus. So if the enemy tries to steal these things, can't God restore these things? Through pain, through trauma, through heartbreak, can't God restore our wonder to himself? Can't he help us worship in a way that we've never had to? That might be your lifeline. That might be all you have. And God's faithful to restore his witness. He will allow you to continue to share. Deep pain requires deep healing. But as we see in the life of Jesus, when he was crucified, his physical body was beaten. He was healed. His scars did not disappear. Your scars are a testimony 
testament of what you've walked through. We get so ashamed of our scars. I've promised that I will not walk in shame. I will not walk in guilt. I will not walk in anything that the enemies tried to bring on, whether it was the loss of my brother, whether it was things that I didn't deal with as a kid, but that I've walked through. Some of y'all need to remember that we're walking through. We're stuck. Let's start moving and walk through and see. You don't have to hide your scars. Jesus used his to bring people closer. So if he can use his scars, I think that we can use ours. My question in all of this, I've done a lot of things internally that I had to heal from those events when I was a kid. I had to heal from different things. I had to learn to forgive in the moment. But what does it look like if we're a healed church? We're walking around in guilt and shame, not talking about how we feel. And I'm not like, not like today's society where like you have to be an emotional train wreck. Like that's not what I'm getting at. But what I'm saying is if something happens, feel it. What happens if we're healed? What happens if we're a healed church? There's a couple things that as I was putting this together, um, you want to come up? The first thing that we do is we learn to love beyond ourselves. If we're a healed church, through learning to heal from things 30 years ago, I've learned to love way bigger than I ever could have by myself. I've learned to step into things that I'm like, man, only God can allow me to love you. Because myself has all the emotion. In myself, it had all of the let's fight, let's not fight, all the negative emotions, but he allowed me to love beyond myself. When we do that, we can become no matter what Christians. I have people that have literally been no matter what, three in the morning, no matter what. But I would rather be that way than the no matter what that we talk about, but because we've not dealt with things that then no matter what happens and we run away. The next thing that we do if we're a healed church is we forgive in the moment. In the moment. Not like I'm working on it, like in the moment. Two weeks after my little brother was killed, I had an opportunity that I didn't know I was ever going to have to forgive in the moment. I've had other opportunities throughout my life to forgive in the moment but the one that sticks out to me is when Jesus is hanging on a cross and he's been beaten he's hanging there naked can't even recognize him and he felt it you know he felt it he created our emotions you know that he dealt with it but when we're a healed church Father forgive them for they not know what they are doing third thing that happens if we're a healed church is we produce the fruit of long suffering probably not my favorite one to produce but when we produce it it develops our character through our relationship with the Holy Spirit long suffering means it's 
It shows restraint when stirred to anger, having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. The only way you get to produce that part of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is to go through some crap. And then I feel like the last one that God showed me is we learn to pray for the ones that hurt us. In the moment, if we feel it, we allow God to begin to heal it. We can pray for the ones that have hurt us. It took me 20-some years to figure out that I could pray for my mom and dad. But when we get the opportunity to deal with it, we've now stepped into a freedom that we can release to them by praying for the ones that have done us wrong. We're walking in more freedom than they are. If they hurt you intentionally or unintentionally, there's guilt, there's shame, all the things that you felt, they're feeling the same thing. But the moment that you start healing, it brings you freedom. When we pray for others that have hurt us, it allows us to do that. Pain is inevitable, but what it produces is up to you. That's your choice. That's between you and God. Some of you have pains and traumas and heartbreaks and things from being a little kid that you've never dealt with. And then you look at your kids, you're like, man, why do I fly off the rocker every time you do this? They're not healed. You've not dealt with it. You've not had the chance. You've not given yourself the chance to fully feel it. When we allow ourselves to feel, it creates a place for God to heal God heals it, it brings restoration to the one that walked with us through it. But you have to feel it to give him the capacity because once you feel it, then you can give it to him. When you give it to him, he can heal that and he can restore that. As we work on closing, like it's, it's good to feel things. But there's situations where you maybe didn't have the chance. Maybe your spouse left and you had little kids and you didn't have the time for yourself. Maybe that family member that passed away, you never got to tell them how you felt. You were the one that put on the funeral. You were the one that hosted the family. Everybody else is falling apart and you had to stand for them not been given the opportunity to feel it, to deal with it. And some of you have chosen that for yourselves and some of you didn't have a choice. There's a, there's a video clip that I've seen a few years ago and it's, I'm just going to talk about it because I, I just want, like, I feel like some of us just need a space to feel and this is a safe place to do that. Like, but it's a, a video clip of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That was like, it's not Jesus, but it is. But in that, they're, they're filming live and Will Smith's dad in the scene comes and then his dad has to leave again. His dad hadn't been a part of his life. 
on the show, but also in real life. And he blows up at his dad, at his, at his uncle who raised him. Why doesn't he want me? And in that moment, he finally just grabs his uncle and starts weeping. There's a live audience. They're trying to figure out, do we cut the tapes? Do we roll the tapes? They said, roll with it. And there's people that interviewed that said they were in there and like audience members are weeping. And my heart is I've walked through a journey. You've walked through a journey. But I've had those people that whether it was stuff as a kid, whether it was my little brother's funeral, whether it was the last year where I had people that I could go to and weep. And I really felt like there's some of us in here today that have never been given that opportunity. You've never been able to deal with it because you don't have that person that you can just hug and cry with. And this morning, I want to give that opportunity. And if, if there's something, I see emotion all over some of you. If there's something that you're dealing with or have not dealt with, come on. I've got some people. Will you guys just come up? Isaac, Maddie, Killeen. I don't know one of you guys. If you can, will you come up, Pastor? Like, we're, we're going to have people up here. I see it. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel like crap. It's okay to not be okay. of God is right here. You can walk through all of it. And I've asked these guys to come up because I know their stories. I know there's pain. And I see it on some of your faces. Please don't leave without taking the moment. And I, I mean, if you have to feel something from 30 years ago to start your journey, do it. But you're in, we're in a 33 day tabernacle of David back so learn today how to feel it let God begin to heal it he's going to work through one situation at a time how many days we got left of that like 20 I don't know like, like 20 days left if you haven't started start now you've had worship playing you've been inviting the presence of God for 14 days. Whatever, my math's not good right now. But he can heal you at your house. But some of you will never step into that at your house because you don't know that you can do it here. So, I'm done. Red's gonna play. Kirsty's got a message, but we're up here. Like, if you guys come, come on. We're just here to hug you. But we're not just gonna hug you and let you feel it. We're gonna invite the Holy Spirit in to heal it because I can't heal it. They can't heal it. But we're going to invite the Holy Spirit in in the moment so that you can feel it for the first time, but then you can deal with it. Restore. Okay? I'm going to pray for you. Father, I just come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your mighty name. I thank you for the presence of God. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would begin to move freely. Father, that you would stir so passionately on the inside of people. Father, that they would just begin to move, that even though we're praying, I don't care if that's you, just come on. But Lord, that they would move, Lord, that when we are a healed church, 
Lord, that that starts with us being a healed disciple of you. That to be a healed church, you've called us the church. Lord, that we would lay down the guilt and the shame and the bondage. Lord, that we would begin to feel things for the first time. That we would take the time to feel what's going on. That if that looks like weeping, then it's weeping. But Lord, we know that when there's tears at night, joy comes in the morning. And Father, I thank you that you're with the broken heart. I thank you that you're near to us in this moment right now. I thank you that you walk with us when our spirits are crushed and we have no hope. We don't know that we can keep going. Lord, I just ask that you would restore our wonder. That you would restore our worship. Lord, that you would restore our witness. That we will not be a silent church. We will not be a church that walks around in guilt and shame because of what's happened in our past that we couldn't control. But Lord, that you would begin to heal miraculously in this moment. I just thank you for it in Jesus' name.